0: good morning. I too greet you in Jesus' name and I'm glad that we can be together this morning and worship God. I was very, uh, once again, impressed with our Sunday school lesson and the things that we can learn about God working behind scenes. And um, I think too often we think of that as being something that happens in the book of Esther, or some random prophet in the New Old Testament or something. But I think it still happens today, I really do. Okay, so um, what I'd like to share about this morning is maybe um, uh, quite along the practical sides, but uh, it's the way my mind has been kind of running the last uh, week or two, and um, we'll talk about that a little as we go along here, but I guess uh, officially we have entered what uh, I guess our society calls the holiday season. Um, Thanksgiving was on Thursday. Black Friday was on Friday. Cyber Monday's coming up, I guess, and um, it's a, a lot of pomp and circumstance and food and, and these kinds of good things here for the next while as we lead up to Christmas. And then we have the new year, and then it's uh, all over again for another year, I guess. And somehow or the other we call that the the holiday season. And uh, Friday we we receive no less than three uh, annual letters and pictures in the mail. So I guess I guess it has started, and um, it will be déjà vu all over again here for the next few weeks so I don't know how you how you feel about that how you how you look forward to this time of year um, I, maybe maybe i'll just get, get brave here. How many of you generally enjoy the holiday season would say you generally enjoy it okay now now I have to decipher whether that's peer pressure or honesty, but anyway, the majority of your hands went up and i, I I'll say mine went up in honesty I don't, i'll let you decide, decipher whether yours did or not but i I more or less enjoy this this time of the year and may, maybe it's because i enjoy good food i'm not sure but uh i certainly certainly enjoy a lot a lot of the things that go along with with the holiday season as as they call it there are of uh, those that uh i know and you do too i'm sure that um, will share uh kind of a negative sentiment about this time of the year and if you listen closely, um, generally I think it can be um, traced back the to the, f- to, the f- to the point that for many people this time of the year reminds them of issues in their life that they wish were not there. Um, you know, let, let's just admit it. We live in a society where there's, you know, a lot of fractured families and so on. And I think this time of the of the year reminds people of of wounds in their lives, perhaps um, it 's it's it's a time of the year where there is a lot of peer pressure for spending an unbelievable amount of money on junk, basically because it's just it 's just kind of the way society has has uh, pushed us that direction and many people do not find joy because they do not know the true source of joy, and if you do not know the true source of joy it 's going to take more then pomp and circumstance around a few weeks of the year to bring that joy to you. And so the whole thing is just, it It almost, it is almost repulsive to some. I'm not sure what percentage, but it's not unusual to hear some whining over this time of the year. Turn with me to Titus 2, and uh, we're just going to use this as a springboard for the rest of what we're going to talk about. But I think Titus, or Paul here as he's writing to Titus, um, has a key, has a key, uh, word here that he uses that i like to talk about just a little bit before we move on. So Titus 2, I'm gonna read verses 11 to 14. I would like to comment just a little bit on, uh, the latter part of verse 10 before I do that. It says that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So now just think about that a little bit. Now I know that I've jumped in there and he's he's uh he's actually talking about uh talking two servants there or whatever. But I think it should be our um, goal that whatever we do, like Paul says, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do thank you, Austin. That we should do everything for the glory of God or we should adorn the doctrine of God. The things that we do practically at the tip of our fingers, seven days a week, should be that stuff that makes sense or 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 um, what we what we say we believe or whatever what we actually do should adorn that. It should make sense against what we say we believe. Okay, so verse twelve. Uh, I'm sorry, verse eleven. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. The word I'd like to hone in on there is this idea of living soberly. And honestly, last night I almost wished I would have... Um, brought you an entire message on what it means to live live soberly and I may do, I may do that yet. But let's just talk about sober. What does it mean to be sober? In a nutshell, to be sober as it is as it is talking about it here in this particular text means to be temperate, clear-headed, and to think through things well. Okay? If we are not those kinds of people, I think we will end up being the people that are neither righteous nor godly, okay? If we do not think balanced and clear-headed in our thinking, we will end up almost invariably on one ditch or the other, on almost any issue that we that we um, encounter. So what I'd like to, um, I guess if, if you need a title for what I'd like to talk about, I would like to think soberly about the holiday season. So, you know, with this highly commercialized Christmas, we always talk about that, and the propensity of our society toward godlessness, how should we, as Christians, in our culture, approach the holiday season? There is some argument that we should totally avoid it, totally act like it's another day of the week. And as a matter of fact, um, um, I I talked to my dad last night about about this whole issue. I had a few questions for him. And he said he remembers the time that there was a movement or a, a segment of the uh, conservative churches that he would, have, he would have known of that decided that the best approach to Christmas was to completely ignore it, and they went so far as to even have school on Christmas. I mean, it was just one of those things that we are totally going to ignore. It's, it's all godless. We're just going to, you know, commercialize. We're just going to ignore it. And then I think there's a segment of us, maybe, that would be ready to engage in almost every facet of the goings-on that one can during this season. And so here's where we need to be clear-headed and think through this um, as God would want us to think. And so that's what I'd like to try to do this morning. It is true that God has been and always will be concerned that his people, as they live in the world... Do not conform to its mold, as Romans 12.2 talks about. It says, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed so that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, no matter what's under consideration, for a Christian, we always have to consider whether this decision I'm making, this issue at hand, is something that is conforming me to the world... Or is can I, through this, prove what is the good and acceptable will of God? In other words, how do I live in the world, in the culture I live in, engage in that culture, and yet not allow it to press me into its mold? How do I get that done? So, let's, let's try to just uh, to look at this issue and, and see if we can come to any conclusions. I decided that perhaps it would be good for me just to sit down and try to discover exactly what was the origin of what we now know as Christmas. In other words, how did we arrive at some of these um, customs and um, you know ways of celebration that we have, how did that come to be? And so just bear with me for a second. Maybe you know this. Maybe this is not news to you. But I'm just going to run you very quickly from way back when to today and help us to understand how we have arrived where we have arrived. So if you go way back and you start at around the time of the Roman Empire, you will find that, at least historians tell us this, that during those days, many different countries and people groups would celebrate the winter solstice for basically one reason and that was it was just kind of a good thing that the days began to get longer and i mean you know who who can hate more sunlight and the fact that days are going to get warmer in the near future and so it was kind of just a celebratory time of uh, of the year and they did this different ways but many would incorporate some sort of a god or something into this whole celebration And so you had these basically pagan celebrations around the winter solstice. Well, as you remember, those of you that know church history anyway, will remember our friend Constantine that came to power in the early 300s and the Roman emperor that basically tried to change everything to Christianize it. And there was a pope during those times called Pope Julius I who gets the credit for homogenizing all these Pagan holidays, the solstice sort of celebrations, and and Christianizing that into what was known as Christ Mass. Okay, so that's where we get our Christmas. Okay, so you know um, he did this, and he he Christianized um, these these pagan holidays, in other words, and just I should just back up. These these holidays were were almost always. Uh, almost more like a Mardi Gras, if you know what I mean. It was a, a very racist, um partying, drunken revelry. And so not much changed whenever the, the Pope Christianized it. That part of it stayed on. The only thing that changed is we went to Mass first, and then we did our partying. So not much changed. So we did this for several hundred years, or they did. And if you will remember... Um, a man by the name of Oliver Cromwell, who came to power in 1645 in England, under the Puritan reform, he decided, you know what, I'm done with Christmas. And he outlawed Christmas. So no Christmas in England for a period of time until the next king comes along and he restores Christmas as a celebration. And mainly the reason the Oliver Cromwell was against this, um, this Christmas, but it was because of all the wild partying and so on, the drinking and so on that went with that. So let's fast forward to the New World. When the pilgrims come over to the New England states early in the day, they outlawed Christmas as well. And as a matter of fact, from 1659 to 1681, if you were caught celebrating Christmas in Boston, you were fined five shillings. So that they actually put a little teeth in the thing, but by contrast, in the Jam- Jamestown settlement, uh, John Smith reports that Christmas was enjoyed by all and passed without incident. Anyway, um, because of these these um, kind of the wild side of Christmas, I was interested to find out that in 1828, the the initiation of New York City's police force came because of the wild rioting of Christmas. They, they felt they, they found a need for a police force in New York City because of that. So it wasn't until the 19th century that um, Americans as a society began to embrace Christmas as something other than wild partying. And the reason this basically happened was uh, because there were two men... Who you may recognize their names, one by the name of Washington Irving, and one by the name of Charles Dickens. And I'm just going to read this verbatim uh, off the uh, from from where I got this. So I'm just going to read this quote. In 1819, the best-selling author Washington Irving wrote a series of stories about the celebration of Christmas in an English manor house. The sketchers. Sketches feature a squire who invited the peasants into his home for the holiday. In contrast to the problems faced in American society, the two groups mingled effortlessly. In Irving's mind, Christmas should be a peaceful, warm-hearted holiday, bringing groups together across lines of wealth and social status. In fact, many historians say that Irving's account actually invented tradition... By implying that it was described, that it described the true customs of the season. Around that time as well, English author Charles Dickens created the classic holiday tale called A Christmas Carol. The story's message, the importance of charity and goodwill towards all humankind, struck a powerful chord in the United States and England and showed members of the Victorian society the benefits of celebrating the holiday. In the next hundred years, Americans built a Christmas tradition all of their own that included pieces of many other customs, including tree decoration, holiday cards, gift-getting, etc. And Christmas first became a federal holiday in June 26th of 1870. So as America has become a melting pot for many different cultures and customs and traditions, there was much borrowing from hither and thither, and we kind of have this thing that we know of as Christmas and our cultural way of celebrating it. I would say, though, that as time has moved on and we come down to our day, um, we're all aware of the uh, of the effort by some uh, godless people to remove Christ as far out of Christmas as possible and just completely commercialize it and uh, turn it into something um, perhaps more pagan. I guess I find it somewhat understandable why some Christians perhaps have looked at this hullabaloo and have deducted that due to the commercialization of the holiday, the roots in paganism, the rowdy, godless celebrations that it used to represent, and the lack of biblical precedent, perhaps the holiday should pass without attention. I guess it's not completely... Under- a person can understand that if he, if he thinks about it a bit. It is interesting, as I uh, looked over some of the roots of some of of the um, uh, traditions that have uh, come to be and and we sort of recognize as as holiday traditions. Invariably, every one of them, if you go back and trace it to its origin, indeed was rooted in something that was pagan. Let's just be honest about that. There's, There's no point in not being honest about that. The one exception... It's Christmas cards. All right? And I found that interesting that, uh, that the whole thing of Christmas cards evolved in the mid-1800s when England was trying to put a postal system together. So they had this fledgling postal system, but they had a problem. Nobody was sending anything in the postal system. So I mean, to keep this thing floating, you gotta have people, somebody's gotta use stamps, right? And so the, the chief postmaster came up with this novel idea, why not invent Christmas cards and kind of make it the, the public, um, sell it to the public as something they should do. So in other words, there'd be this flurry of of um, stamp selling and card selling over Christmas, and everyone would kind of feel the peer pressure to do it, float the post- postal system, and everybody would feel good. So that's what he jolly well did. He went to work, and him and a friend made Christmas cards and sold them to the public. And they put stamps on them and started sending them to one another. And guess what? It floated, and it got the got the postal system off the um, off the ground. That was before they knew about junk mail, because now that's how we take care of that problem. I think. Anyway, let's uh, let's go on now and um, try to figure out. Um, just try to cut through the the um, the holiday season and some of our customs and so on, and try to think clear headedly about what we do, what we don 't do, maybe what we should do and um, and and draw some conclusions, hopefully um, some god honoring conclusions, as I would do those of you that know me well know I would do this I, I tried to dig into some sort of of history that would tell me why we as Mennonites have settled on what we have settled on as the as the acceptable. In other words, why do we do this but not that, and that and not this, and yet we're all kind of good with what we settled on, and yet um, I don't know if anybody could give me a real good explanation of why we have settled on what we have. I did a bit of research and came up with nothing. I could find no anecdotal reference. I could find no sermon. I could find nothing on, you know, say 100, 200 years ago. Did anybody grapple with this issue? I mean, was it something that was talked about? And apparently not. Apparently, it wasn't a big issue. Apparently, there was bigger fish to fry along the way, and that was something that just kind of happened, I guess. So I... Uh, I, uh, that's that's actually the reason I called my father. I said, "Can you help me out? Do you know of do you know of any way that that we celebrated Christmas maybe differently a hundred years ago than what we do today, or maybe even back further?" And he said, "Well, I can remember back 60 years, and nothing has changed in 60 years." And so he said, "Beyond that, I'm not really sure." So I'm I'm kind of left uh, hung uh, with with how we all did this. But I would I would guess that probably knowing what I do know about our attempts in the past to lead simple lives and lives that are free from the word that people used to use a lot, ostentation, I'm guessing that's probably why we've settled on what we have, is my guess. All right, so let's, uh, let's talk about a few questions here. So let's get to the question, let's just ask the question, should we as Christians celebrate Christmas? I mean, is that, that, that's kind of the overriding maybe, maybe question. Should we? Well, I, I will say first of all, there is no command in the Bible that says we should. So that, that, that's, that's, I think we could all agree with that. However, I would also say that when Christ was born, you can't say that it was f- not a big deal. Um, I don't know that anybody else uh, had their birthday announced by a heavenly host. I, I don't know that that happened anywhere, other than when Jesus was born, and and you know the the shepherds coming and and worshiping Jesus, and uh, uh, some time later we don't know how much later, but the wise men showing up. There was an ado about Jesus' birth. There was. Some would point to the fact that the other two birthdays that are recorded in the Bible, which are Pharaoh's and Herod's, were not good events. On both events, uh, somebody lost their life. The butler in the one case and John the Baptist in the other. But I would just throw out just a little caution there. Um, Let's be careful of making doctrine out of anecdotal evidence. Um, I think probably that was more a commentary on the wickedness of the people than a fact that birthdays should not be celebrated. That would be my conclusion. We can make doctrine out of lots of anecdotal things in the Bible. The fact that the man that decided to build, tear down his barns and build bigger barns to store his crop, should we decide that that's not to be there's never a time to tear down your barn and build a bigger one, um, whatever, for whatever reason. Well, I think we can see through that. Pr- probably that's not that's not a safe way to uh, to conclude on some things. So I, I guess I would say to answer the question, um, nothing inherently wrong with celebrating um, Jesus' birth, but I would certainly also say quickly that it's not the most important part of Jesus' life. Jesus could have been born, but had, had Satan won out in the wilderness, or had he decided in that garden that he could not go through, his birth would mean absolutely nothing to us. So it's not the most important thing, but it is an important event that led to the most important parts of the Christian history. Number two, so what about the point that almost everything that about Christmas tradition is rooted in some sort of evil ancient practice? Should this deter celebrating the holiday? Well, this is maybe a little bit harder to uh to cut through. But I but I, I want us to think this way. If we're going to try to think soberly and clear headedly, let's be honest enough to say that. As time evolves, and large amounts of time evolve, a couple of millennia, if you will, things that at one time would have perhaps been unbecoming for the Christ, for the Christian. In other words, I don't think there was any Christians dancing around stones uh, during the winter solstice, uh, you know, revelry of the Roman Empire. I, I highly doubt that. Well, I shouldn't say I highly doubt that. I'm sure there was not. Any true Christian would not have done that. However, as time moves on and generations come and go and things change and we come down to 2018 or whatever, things that at one time meant a thing don't mean the same thing today. All right? Now, I want to say this very carefully because I don't want you to take this as a blanket statement because there are many things that were wrong... 2,000 years ago, that are still wrong today, even though society says they are not. And I hope you all are sober enough that you understand the difference there. I think you do. I'm not talking about moral issues, but I'm talking about all moral things. In other words, Peter, um, 2,000 years ago, if somehow we could take ourselves back there, would not be standing up here dressed as I'm dressed today. He would have probably had some sort of Jewish garment on that resembled more of a dress than what I have on. But you see what I'm saying? It, it would, if I would have come in here dressed as Peter, probably dressed, you'd have thought I was out of my head this morning. That's what you would have thought. But basically, I, it's my culture, and it was Peter's culture, that caused him and I to dress in the way I do. Same thing kind of goes with with uh, along these lines. You know, Christian, or I'm sorry, Christmas traditions. I think have evolved, and things that meant something years ago don't mean the same thing today. And again, I I want to to put out a disclaimer here. There may be those that differ with me on this point. And I want to be gracious with that. Okay, I, I do want to be gracious with that. I, I'm not. I'm not putting this out as the, the ultimatum. But I think that um, I think as we think carefully about this issue, that is the conclusion that I at least come to. Question three: Should we as Christians engage completely in cultural celebrations that carry no religious significance? All because it's the cultural thing to do. Now, I didn't, I didn't ask you all uh, what you when I asked if you enjoy the holiday season. I did not ask you why you enjoy it, but I'm guessing if you were honest, um, you probably, in your heart of hearts, would say, "Well, you know, I enjoy getting cards and letters and pictures, and I enjoy some holiday food, and I enjoy family gatherings, and I enjoy." Maybe some gifts. Uh, I'm guessing that's probably, if we were honest, would be, would be part of what we enjoy. Now every one of those things I just listed or named, you can't, you, you just really can't go to some verse somewhere and say, now that's a proper thing to do and that's not a proper thing to do. It is completely, totally cultural. And it has, it has completely come down to us in that package. But, Again, there's many there's many all-moral cultural things that we do. We eat the food we do because it's kind of our culture that we live in. We drive on the side of the road we do because that's our culture. We don't sit on the floor to eat because that's not our culture. Some places we would do that. And I could go on and on. So I'm suggesting that we don't necessarily need to... Um, feel badly that a good majority of what we do during the holiday season is nothing less than cultural American tradition. But here's the important part. There is this point that can come where the culture can easily press us into the world's mold that the Bible specifically tells us we should keep from happening. It's very easy to go overboard and begin to worship the holiday rather than the Savior. I, I really believe that, and I really believe that the lines that we have arbitrarily drawn, uh, whether stated or unstated, if if I look at it, it basically is a line between what blesses others and what is mere frivolity. That, that, that's kind of the that's kind of the a conclusion I came to. So, I guess I guess to the question again, you know, is it wrong to to engage in, in things that are simply cultural? I would answer that with a, a tepid no. It's it's not. But at the same time, let's go at it with a caution. This could be an avenue that Satan would use to press us into the world's mold, and that we need to be careful about. That we do. Number four, I would like to throw out a caution. Let's be careful. Since we have concluded that a lot of what we do is simply cultural, let's try to be careful not to Christianize that which is simply cultural. I don't know about you, but I, I'm personally intrigued a bit with um, with the attempt that some make at Christianizing everything about Christmas. That is really simply cultural. I mean, in other words... Does evergreen really symbolize everlasting life? Really? Do candles really symbolize that Jesus is the light of the world? Or does the color red really symbolize the blood of Jesus? Or do Christmas bells really symbolize the ringing of the good news? I mean, these are interesting concepts, but isn't it more symbolisms of somebody's imagination than it is biblical um, you know symbolism. Um, that that would be my conclusion. And I would just like to. I ran across a quote here in my study that I would like to just read here because I thought it it put it pretty well. It said, "Obscuring the line between biblical and cultural is harmful to our faith. When we no longer differentiate between what's cultural and what's scriptural, we run the risk of accepting and propagating hodgepodge ideas." that may be and probably are based on myth and legend and assigning them to the Bible. And that's, that's not good. That's not where we want to go. And I'm not even suggesting that that's an issue that, that we or I or you are, are struggling with, but I just just want to point that out, that let's leave biblical, biblical, and let's leave cultural, cultural. Now, indeed, our, our Bible has to guide us as we engage in the culture. Let's not try to mix something that was never meant to be mixed. At the same time, I don't think we want to make the Bible say something about a thing when the Bible really doesn't. And again, I I say this with... um, with caution, too. It seems like everything I'm saying here I say with caution, isn't it? But it's one of these things that we're trying to think uh, soberly about this. If you would go to um, Jeremiah, I think it's chapter 10, the first four verses, and you'd read that. It, it, it talks about people that go out into the woods and they cut down a tree and they bring it back and they deck it with silver and gold and they worship it, basically, essentially is what, what it says. It is an uncanny resemblance of our current Christmas tree. Unbelievable similarity. And I have heard good people uh, try to make the connection between that and a Christmas tree. And, and, and I'll say, there is an uncanny resemblance. However, I don't think anybody can necessarily trace the what, is, what we know of as the modern Christmas tree all the way back to Jeremiah 10. So my point is, if somebody would ask me, I don't have a Christmas tree, just for clarity. If somebody would ask me why I don't, I think it would be better for me to say that I do it primarily, if I'm honest, because I have been conditioned by my spiritual heritage and by my teaching not to do the thing. And it's largely because of my aspiration to keep focus and to keep simplicity In, in my Christmas celebration. That's largely what it is. Now, if, if a person, if a person's interested, well sure, there is an uncanny resemblance between Jeremiah 10 and, and the modern Christmas tree. But I don't know that we should use that as our, as our basis for what we don't do. Now that's just my opinion. And if you, uh, if you disagree with me, I I would, I would definitely, I would definitely engage you in, in some conversation on that. All right, moving on. So at the same time as we engage in what we know as cultural traditions, let's not engage in them to a point where they are no longer Christian. And hear me out here. We do a lot of eating over the Christmas holiday. We can overeat. Let's just be honest. We can. And the Bible speaks very clearly to the sin of gluttony. We don't talk about it much because it's hard to ascertain when we've crossed that line. But I think some of us know that we have crossed that line on occasion. And it's easy to do that during the holiday season. Let's not do that. That's not Christian. Let's just not do that. Uh, The proverb writer says, Put a knife to your throat if you're a man given to appetite. Maybe that's something we should think about during the holiday season. Perhaps we should we should um, give some thought on the gifts we give. Uh, Should we just give a lot of worthless junk? Uh, Pass that around to one another. Spend money on stuff that... Is going to uh, break in uh, in the next two weeks just because it's the thing to do, um, and we could go on and on. But that's just two. Let's not let's not do things that are perhaps not moral to the point that it does become a moral issue. And I think during the holiday season, that's easy to begin to do. I think another question. We could ask, and maybe is worthy of asking, is as we, as we consider how, where we personally or collectively have kind of drawn our line as this we will do and this we will not do during the, the holiday season, have we drawn these lines at the correct places, the arbitrary lines we've maybe made personally or correctly? Have we? Well, I hope we've at least tried. Okay, I'll just answer it that way. I hope we have at least put some amount of thought into what we do or we don't do. That's 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 how we engage soberly in our culture, and that's how we think soberly. God expects us to be sober people, clear-minded people, people that strive for consistency and simplicity in our lives. And I would like to encourage us to do that. I don't know that we have, and I don't know that we should use our lines necessarily as a standard of judgment for where maybe somebody else has drawn a line on an issue that is not moral. Let's honestly consider that perhaps, and this comes very much on the heels of the last two points I've made, I have been unduly influenced. Influenced by my culture to a point that is not godly. Let's consider the fact that we could have been, or we may be. If if I find myself not enjoying the holiday season, should I consider that there's some place I need to cut back so I can? Again, let's go back to gift giving. Does it reflect thoughtfulness and usefulness, or am I investing in just a bunch of junk that really is not at all satisfying? In my decorating, and there's, there's a bit of that that goes on, let's be honest here, am I decorating in a way that still exudes simplicity and is satisfying, or have I gone to a point, or am I headed to a point that is no longer God-honoring and my focus is on something other than Jesus himself? And again, I tell you folks, the, these questions are not easy to ascertain answers. And we probably do better to ask those questions to ourselves than to analyze our neighbor. I, I would say. But if we're going to be honest and sober and serious-minded and clear-headed and think, we have to ask ourselves these questions. In the last couple of days, I uh, I have been reading through Revelation, the first couple chapters of Revelation in my in my personal Bible reading. And I was thinking about that in relation to what I was going to share this morning. And you know, it kind of gripped me. Those people there in, in those churches there in Revelation, most of them, not all of them, but most of them had come to a point where God says to certain of them, I'm just about to remove your candlestick. Just about there. And that what you need to do is you need to repent and you need to get a couple of things in line or that candlestick will be removed. And the the interesting part was, the churches did not see it that way. Jesus saw it that way, but the churches did not see it that way. And that kind of gripped me, and I'm like, what does God see when he looks at me, when he looks at my house, when he looks at my family, when he looks at the way I celebrate Christmas? As he's saying, you know what? You've gone way over the line. You have, you you have, you are wandering into the, into the realms of godly, godlessness. And what you need to do is you need to repent and you need to think more clear headed about the way you celebrate the holidays. It's just something that, that I had to think about as I, um, as I thought about that in this particular subject. Let's at least be honest that that is a possibility. All right. Last two points. I would like to look at the positive side of this a little bit. During this holiday season, we have a lot of opportunity, and and it has a lot to do, again, with our cultural tradition, but to bless people in a godly way, to take advantage of what is really tradition and use it in a very God-honoring and God-exalting way. In other words... It It is expected that greetings are exchanged, thanks to our friend way back when. And we have this wonderful opportunity to do a culturally expected thing and send somebody a card and point them to Jesus. We can do that. We have opportunity to do the culturally expected thing, and that is to give somebody a worthwhile gift. Anybody here that doesn't enjoy getting a gift from somebody, that you know there was thought put into it, and you know that... Um, you, you just have a warm feeling about that person because of what they did for you. I don't know, maybe I'm different. That's the way, that's, that's what I feel when somebody thinks of me and does that. We have neighbors, we have friends, we have you name it. That we can bless in ways that are extremely God-honoring and we can do it during this cultural time of the year and everyone is blessed, hopefully. Let's use this holiday season as an outreach tool. I tell you, folks, I don't need to tell you, we, we are living in an increasingly godless culture. And people that are godly need to point people back to where, what are we here for? What, what is this all about? It's about Jesus' birth. That's what it's about. Our society is looking for meaning in life. We're called to be salt and light. Let's do that. Let's be that salt and light as we look for, as our society is looking for that. Okay, so I would suggest that the resolve we should have for this holiday season is look for those opportunities. Look for more opportunity to bless others. And look for more ways that I can honor God properly during this holiday season. That may look a little bit different for each one of us. God can speak to you. I don't need to get up here and, and, uh, and tell you exactly what you need or don't need to do. Um, but think All I ask you to do is think and think clearly. As I was talking with my father last night, he gave me a story that I never, I never heard this story before, at least I don't know that I did, but it blessed me and it, in it, and it, um, inspired me, I guess that, you know, there are ways we can do this and do it well. And he took me back to a time when he was, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade. It was, he was, uh. He was in his uh, kind of, you know, younger years in school there. My father went to public school up to the time he was in fifth grade, and then the, the parochial school started there in in uh, Hagerstown area, and so he went there. But in one of those younger years there in public school, the, the the custom of the day was that they put up a Christmas tree there in the in the room. Everybody exchanged names, and everybody bought a gift for the name they received, and they brought it to school, and they put it under the Christmas tree, and then, you know, someday before Christmas, they went and got their gift, and it was just, you know, whatever. It's no different than we, what we really do here, just void of the tree, that's all. Anyway, there was um, there was a family, I guess, apparently, um, in the school at that time, that was so poor that the, the parents told the children not to put their name in the drawing because there was just no money to buy gifts. So guess what that means? Okay, maybe you don't have to buy a gift for, for anybody, but neither do you get one either. So it's it's kind of a it's it's an unhappy situation for, for a child. So my my grandmother caught wind of this somehow, and one of these one of the, one of the members of that particular family was in my father's grade at school, and so she it happened to be a girl, and so she made a dress for this girl. And she gave it to my dad, and he took it, and he put it under that tree, and that girl got a gift that that Christmas. I don't know if the lady still lives. I don't know if she still remembers that, but I have a feeling she might. Those are the ways, people, that we can bless people. And I think we should take those opportunities. I, I guess I was, I was happy for that story, and, and I guess I would like to be a person that is known to be a promoter of peace and goodwill, a person that thinks of others before himself and that uh, truly points people to Christ during this holiday season.